Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Andy and I are catching up on a conversation that I had with a fellow manager over the holiday break. And we were discussing something that their team is really struggling with. And they were asking for some help because they have a practice that is continuing to accept new clients. They're one of the only ones in the area. And uh, there's a lot of negativity coming from clients as a result of that. Existing clients are mad they can't get in. Uh, New clients are mad that they have to wait. And everybody seems frustrated. And my manager friend was asking, how do I keep this negativity from the clients? from affecting the whole team? What can I do to support them? Uh, What do I do to shield them from the negativity? And how do I boost morale? I thought it was a great question and one that I really had a lot of fun getting into with Andy. So let's get into this, shall we? And now, the Uncharted Podcast. (laughs) And we are back. It's me. Dr. Andy Rourke and Stephanie, I will be your shelter in the storm gulf. <laughs> I like it. How's it going, Andy? Man, it's it's good. It's good. Uh, this part of January is the Monday of the year. That's that's what I've decided. Yes. It is the Monday, you know, like Monday is the day when it is just wide open doing all the things everybody who thought of things they wanted to do over the weekend is trying to talk to me about them all at once and it's just pandemonium (laughs) this part of january is the monday of the year and i'm just trying to make it through monday yeah it is it is crazy and it's it's funny because so our team took uh time off after the holidays and it was really quiet and it was too quiet it was, it was too, too quiet. quiet. It was, was too quiet. I was like, why are It's like when your kid disappears and you're like, where are they? It's real quiet. Exactly. That's me. Except my, instead of a kid, it was, it was you guys. It was, exactly. it was a half dozen employees. It's totally true. And then Monday morning happened and it's like when it's been too quiet and then you walk in the bathroom and you find your toddler in the toilet with your makeup smeared all over their face. Oh, yeah. Right. Like that was how Monday felt. Well, and- I love our, I love our team. They had a week off and everybody, I think, I think, I think we were really blessed that everyone on our team uh, seems to really love their jobs and yes. like what we do and think that it's awesome. And so when they get a week off, they all quietly work on their own ideas <laughs> and pet projects and things that they're pumped about. And so then I just open the front door and people are like, hey, got a week's worth of ideas I've been uh-huh. sitting on. And like, boom. And I, I love it. I, you know, there is that thing about if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. It's like, oh, I'm working yeah. my push off, but I still, but I still really like it. And I like what we do and I like new things. And so yeah. um, it is simultaneously uh, exhausting and also awesome. I, um, yeah. I really, so, so thinking about this, it's, it's the Monday of the year. There's, there's this really great headspace if you can get into it of looking at your job right of um as a challenge and there's two kinds of challenge right there's like we talk about challenges what we're really saying is what what is sucky what is hard what is difficult right but but then there's also like the challenges of a um of a video game or a sports event or uh, you know or a a hobby that you're going to do where you're like I'm going to paint this picture that's probably beyond my skill set but I, but I'm going to do it, and it's going to be a fun challenge. Sure. If you can get your head about your work into that mind space, man, it's amazing. And that's where, like, that's where I am now. Is I'm like, oh, I have got way too many things going on. Yeah. And they are challenging, but I feel I I am up for this challenge. Like I am 100% feeling positive stress. And oftentimes you, you 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 can get your head in that position if you want to. And if you can, God, it's it's awesome. It's just it's re-energizing and rewarding to be like, yeah, this is not easy. And that's fun. <laughs> and if it was easy, it would be monotonous. So I don't know. I, I just that's where I am right now. 2022 so far, I am looking at it as a worthy, motivating challenge. And I'm going to try to keep my head in that place as long as I can because that is really a sweet spot and I just I go to bed at night feeling like I did good work and excited about tackling the challenges of tomorrow yeah I mean I'm excited about this year as well like to your point there's 
so much good stuff coming down the road, it's hard to not be excited about change. And at the same time, it's it's easily overwhelming because to your point, it feels like Monday and Mondays can be overwhelming, you know? I'm excited for today's podcast because I was, yeah, I was talking to a manager friend uh, over the break and catching up and um, they run a fairly mid-size, large to mid-size practice. And so um, they have multiple doctors and have a bigger team. And so they were saying, uh, they were asking for help and uh, they are struggling with something that I suspect is kind of probably common for practices who are still taking new clients. And so they they are one of the only the only practice in their area who is accepting new clients. All of the other uh, GPs, particularly the smaller one and two doctor practices in the area, stop taking new clients because they just can't handle the caseload. And uh, my manager friend was saying, you know, we actually are are feeling really blessed right now because we are not fully staffed, but we um, have enough team to handle the caseload. And at the same time, because we're the only ones taking new clients, um, our appointment schedule is really full. And so yeah. we have existing clients who are getting ticked off at us because we can't fit them in like yesterday. And then new clients who don't understand why we're telling them it's a two-week wait for them to have to get in to be seen. And so they were saying their team is really struggling because they feel like they are getting hit on both sides with constant negativity from client interactions because everybody is frustrated with wait times, with how long it takes to get an appointment, with how long they're on hold to talk to somebody, uh, you know, all of those things. And everybody is having to navigate changes again uh, for a lot of places to COVID protocols and lots of practices are going back to curbside and so um, or making changes because they are shorthanded or they have people out. And and so we're kind of in a space. It reminded me a lot of where we were probably three to six months after this whole thing started two years ago, where uh, my manager friend was like, I'm just exhausted because it feels negative all the time. And I am trying to I'm trying to keep it to myself because I don't want my team to see that I am struggling, but I am really struggling because I feel powerless and I feel like the clients are mad and they're, they are disgruntled with the team constantly. And I need help with figuring out how do I keep the negativity from the clients from affecting the team? You know, what, what can I do to kind of shield them and be their buffer? And how do I boost their morale? Because I am worried we're not having the problem that a lot of practices are of handling the caseload, uh, you know. And she said, "I I've heard you guys talk about that on the on the podcast, and we're that's not us. Like we can handle the caseload. I just don't know how to handle the negativity." And I thought this was such a good one uh, for you and I to talk about. I like this a lot. There are three pieces to this that I see, and man, this is so timely and it's so good. Um, but let's go ahead and start to let's start to go ahead and break this apart here. Um, let's start with headspace, shall we? Okay, sounds good. All right. Uh, so there's three pieces of this that I see, right? So number one is I want to shield my um, staff from negativity. How do I shield them from negativity? Uh, yep. Number two is how do I deal with the clients that are complaining from a strategic standpoint? Like what policies do mm-hmm. I have for? Mm-hmm. Um, for dealing with the actual problem, the things that the people are complaining about. And then the last part is, how do I support the wellness of my people? Mm-hmm. So uh, a little bit different than how do I deal with, you know, how do I, how do I sort of control the negativity? Uh, sure. How do I uh, engender the supportive culture uh, that, that we need and lift people up? So, so those, are the, those are the general three ideas, right? Mm-hmm. I want to start with the biggest pain point that I see. So put the try to put the most useful advice right here at the very beginning. <laughs> okay. And again, I could be wrong here. And no one could be feeling this way that I'm about to say. But I'm not wrong. <laughs> here we go. I'm just gonna, <laughs> just gonna go ahead and say I I would bet you that uh the vast majority of people who are interested in this problem are having the following problem. And so I am making an assumption, which I do apologize for, but I think this will be helpful for a lot of people. The number one pain point here is the belief that I, the manager, can control the negativity 
that is heading towards my staff. Okay, I talked to a, uh, I talked to a manager literally three days ago, three days ago, and I was talking to this person, and she was telling me how she was exhausted because she was making changes to save, and that's the word you use, to save Angela at the front desk. Angela at the front desk is a rock star. She's amazing. She is fantastic, and she is tired, uh, and she is talking about how she might quit. And so the manager cannot have Angela quit because we're shorthanded and we need Angela and she's great. And so the manager is helping on the phones whenever she can. She is having the text come to her, the manager, instead of anything that needs to go up to Angela because Angela is fragile and we don't right. want to push Angela over the edge. And then any client that has any sense of frustration is being referred away from the front desk to the manager so that Angela doesn't get called in sure. to oversee it because we have to save Angela. And my advice to her was, you need to get realistic about your power to save Angela. Right. The truth is, if if any of these things are going to cause Angela to throw up her hands and quit, she was going to quit anyway. She was already there, you know? Yeah. The point being, I'm not saying I don't care about the mental health and wellness of the front desk. Of course I care about them. But the idea that this manager can like throw her body in front of all of the bullets flying at the front desk <laughs> and absorb them all so that not one of them hits Angela and causes her to quit. Right. That's that's just not realistic. You know what I mean? Yeah. If she is so burned out that she's going to quit, it's probably, she may need to quit. That may be the best thing for her. It may be the best thing for you. Like it may be the thing that needs to happen and you should come to peace with that. That's a hard thing. It is hard. <laughs> it is. And we to want to believe. And, and again, I, 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 I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not butchering this in, in the delivery of the point that I'm trying to make is you don't have the power to save your staff right. from your clients. The clients have yeah. direct access to the staff, Right. Um, I cannot absorb all, I can't absorb the negativity. I can't shield them from it. Sure. Now, there are lots of things that I can do, and we're going to talk about what those things are, but the first thing that you have to do as a manager, as a practice owner, as a vet who's stressing about their people is get realistic about how much control you have. And the answer is very little. Right. And so you need to be smart in how you use that control, but at some point, if you were staying awake at night worrying that someone is going to quit and thinking that you're going to throw your body in front of negativity to save that person, you're wrong and right. you're beating yourself up and you are putting unrealistic expectations on yourself. You do not have that power and you need to recognize that and relax and take care of yourself and approach this from a healthier, more nuanced perspective. That's going to let you actually do things that matter but also is going to protect you emotionally. I just, I see people who have someone who quits at their practice and they fall into a puddle and right. accept blame for that. I didn't save this person. Yeah. You don't have the power to save this, pe this person. Let's get realistic about what is possible and be kind to ourselves and approach this from a way that's, that's healthy for us. I mean, I think that's super fair and I think it's a good headspace to be in. I think that's the hardest <laughs> getting there yeah. is the hardest thing to do. Right. Because we care. We care about our people. We care about the team and that the conversation uh, that I had. And I'm sure the one that you had, you're coming from a place of good intentions. And when you were telling uh, about talking to the manager that you were just talking about recently, like that made sense to me and resonated to me because I've been there and done that. Like I've gotten myself into trouble by being that person who's like, I'll jump in and, and help save them. Right. Like that's, it's, it's, it's good human, decent human sure. being, human nature to want to try and help. And so I think the, getting into that space is really hard. Well, I, I guess the analogy I would give is, you know, I, I care deeply about my children and I care deeply about my staff. Uh, they're different, but I care about them. Um, sure. When people on the, on the playground are mean to my kids, you better believe that I feel the urge to go to the school and, yeah. and hang yeah. out. Like, when's your recess? I'll be on the playground. Like, But that's not realistic. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, I can't shield my children from all of the negativity of the other kids. 
Sure. You know, I, there are things that I can do to protect my children. There are things that I can do to put them in situations where they are not going to have to deal with a bunch of crap they shouldn't have to deal with. And you yeah. better believe I'm going to do those things. But at some point, if if I believe um, that my children having a negative interaction with other kids and coming home crying is a failure on my part in parenting, I'm ne- I'm going to have serious problems with my own mental health, you know, and yeah. wellness. And that's, I guess that's the analogy I'm trying to, to draw. Yeah. A lot of us think that we can protect our staff from the clients that they are alone in the exam with, uh, exam room with. Like I can't protect them. I can support them. I can uh, I can set the I can put them in positions to succeed and keep them healthy and happy. Uh, but I can't I can't be there to protect them. Uh, you know every every day all the way. And I think the first thing is accepting. It's accepting that I can I can help up to a point, and then I need to be honest about am I helping up to the point that I can? And beyond that, I have to say I you know there I can't I cannot stop negativity from occurring at some points. I mean, I think that's that's super fair. I hadn't thought about it from the perspective of trying to stop to stop trying to save the team because ultimately, at the end of the day, they have to interact with the world, right? Like, like you can't yeah. you can't be the human shield. I had been thinking about it from a headspace perspective, from the opposite side, which is that I conversely, like I I can't really make clients do a lot of things that I want them to do either as a manager, no, like. There, there are lots of things that I can do. To your point, I can put um, policies and protocols in place and I can have zero tolerance for a lot mm-hmm. of things. And there can be consequences and I can fire clients or there can be other other consequences, positive and negative for their behavioral choices. And at the end of the day, I can't control it. I can't make them do it. I can only control how we as a team, as a company, how we respond to the the things that the clients do and say, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's like being it's it's like being a military commander. Like I'm not there on the ground to keep these soldiers safe. What I have to do is create plans and protocols and policies and situations where my people are going to be safe because that's the level that I have. But I'm not in the foxhole when the actual fighting happens. And and that's that's the best analogy. I hate using military analogies uh, because they because they paint the picture of the pet owner as as the villain, you know, or as the adversary. And that's not true. But that's the best analogy I can give as far as what we have to get ourselves into realistically uh, in order to in order to have a reasonable expectation for our role in these conflicts. Sure, that makes sense. That's the first thing I guess I'd say is zero negativity should not be the goal. It's just, it's... Unrealistic. It's, it's beyond, our, yeah, it's beyond our, our capacity. <laughs> I, I think I think your point about, about pet owners too is like, this is the, this is the reason why that the zero negativity is not, is not a goal is because we don't have any control over pet owners. Right. And they are going to do what they can do. And so I'm not saying I throw up my hands and go, I, I don't care. I'm going to put policies in place to protect my people. And we're going to talk about what those are and how we do those. Right. At the same time, realize that they are still going to run into negativity. That can't be removed. The example I'll give you for this is remember when the pandemic started and we told pet owners to stay in their car. Mm-hmm. And we put a sign out in front of the building that said, please stay in your car and text right. this number. And we put a sign on the door that says, go back to your car and text this number. And uh-huh. then we locked the door right. and clients still, they walked past the sign in the parking lot. They, they looked past the sign <laughs> on the door and they jiggled the door handle and then put their hands and face against the window to peer inside. And they pointed at the door as if you had accidentally locked them out. Remember that? <laughs> there is no amount of signage and policies that are going to stop no. clients from bringing this nonsense to your people is going to happen. And the same thing is true with negativity. The it's idea so that true. you are going to make signage and policies and language that will stop negativity from coming to your people is nonsense. Know who we're uh-huh. up against. Know what we're dealing with and be honest about it. Yeah, I mean it's it's totally true. Like uh, when I think about it, I I there have been moments where I have reminded myself just 
remember the day where the client literally picked up the sandwich board sign that was blocking the door and moved it to <laughs> jiggle the door handle and put their eyes and face up against the door and find out why yeah. we weren't unlocking the door for them. Like I, yeah. I reminded myself of that on a regular basis. Like you, you, you can't control this. There's just pe- people are just going to do what they're going to do. No, you can't. Like they are going to they are going no matter how good your policies and planning are, <laughs> they will go around. It. it will happen. And so just resign yourself to that. I say all of this, right, because the strategy is not to in negativity. The strategy sure. is to systematically remove negativity 80% and then 80% of what's left and 80% of what's left. And so the I want to add policies so that 87% of pet owners stay in their car and the front desk can deal with the 10% that still walk up to the window and ask what's going on. Yeah. Right, as opposed mm-hmm. to not having any signs and 100% of the people walk up to the window and ask what's going on, right? Yeah. Like that, yeah. I, I think that th- that's what we're going for. And I just, I'm trying to get people into that headspace of, okay, I want to do things that remove negativity and remove 50% more negativity and remove 50% of that negativity. Those are the things that I, uh, that I, want, to, that I want to accomplish. And then try to set it up that way so that it's, uh, it's realistic in... Um, in, in, in the expectations of what's coming. So is there anything else um, or thinking about this, right? Because your points about accepting that we can't control the situation and that we don't have the power to protect everybody, right? Like they're going right. to interact with clients and we know that we can't get to zero negativity because that's not actually a thing. But right. from a headspace perspective, when I was thinking and prepping for this, I was I was struggling to think, what kind of headspace do I need to be in to actually tackle this and come at it from a solution driven perspective because that's really yeah. important right and that's always the second half of what we what we do here on the podcast is talk about how can we actually tackle it but i really struggled with uh thinking about what else from a headspace perspe- perspective was there anything yeah. else that you thought of in terms of how to how to get there yeah to to get out of this if the answer is not throw myself in front of negativity then what mm-hmm. is the answer in order to get mm-hmm. to the answer in order to make this productive you have got to zoom out this okay. is one of those problems where by the time you get to this problem, it's too late that you you're you know it's too late to grab the steering wheel. You're not in a good position to grab the steering wheel, right? You have got to intercept this problem before it gets to this problem. That is the answer, and so you have got, got to zoom back out. It's not about absorbing negativity so it doesn't get to your team. It's not about throwing your body in front of clients to to not let them have negative interactions with your staff. It's about right. zooming out and taking the bigger view, which is quite simply, what can I do to build a positive practice culture to absorb this? What organizational boundaries and protocols can I put in place to remove a lot of this crap before it gets on my team, right? Sure. Um, what are uh, wellness resources that I can put forward uh, for my people to help mm-hmm. uh, support them along and along? And those are the three things really from the organizational standpoint for me as a manager. Under that, I want to empower individual people to believe that they have personal agency um, and, uh, and 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 to believe and enforce their own personal boundaries. And mm-hmm. I can talk a little bit more about what that means when we get into action steps. But that is that is the answer for me in Headspace is let go of the idea that you are going to shield your people or that you can make your people stay or that you can make their people happy or that you can save them. Um, yeah. On an individual level, you are the battlefield commander. Step back, get a clear view of the situation. What are you doing to build a positive culture that is going to support them, knowing that clients are going to be frustrated? And what policies and procedures and boundaries have you put in place to take care of them? And what wellness resources do you have for your people? Yeah, I love that. I I think the only thing that really um, stuck out for me, besides like if you are feeling very negative about the whole situation or you're feeling really overwhelmed or upset um, about the negativity, whether you dealt with it on the client side that day or you dealt with the team side that day, obviously not being triggered when you when you have a conversation with people is is really important. But there was something uh, that really stuck with me after this catch up call with my friend, which was um, they were they made a comment about not letting this the team see how they felt and how it was affecting them 
And um, I would say that if you are the leader, A, I think it's important to be vulnerable and honest with the team and share with them. And at the same time, um, they are not your therapist. And so (laughs) this is where I'm going to insert another plug for this is hard. Like being Mm -hmm. a leader right now in the middle of everything that we are dealing with is really, really hard. And so if you were in a position where you were trying to manage this struggle and not, uh, not dump your emotions or feelings onto your team, or you're trying to figure out how do I share a little bit of it? Cause I feel like if I open up a little bit with them, I might volcano cause I've been there. Like this is where having your own support system, um, including a professional when you need one and having somebody to talk to about your own feelings and emotions before you tackle it with your team was the best thing that I ever could have done for myself as a manager. The ability to have a conversation with somebody outside, get some perspective, wrap my brain around it, sort through my own feelings. It made it so much easier for me um, to come in and have conversations and maintain positivity with the team, no matter what the negativity or the reason for the negativity over the years, I found that I was able to handle those situations so much more smoothly when I had done some planning for myself. And so if you're in a position like this, I would just say, take, you got to take care of yourself too, right? It's like you put the oxygen mask on before you can help anybody else. This is definitely a similar situation because the negativity is affecting um, my friend. I know, I know that. And so I would say, you know, it's, it's important to take care of yourself uh, first before you try and take care of the team and the clients too. Well, I, I think the healthiest way to look at this is you're part of the team, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, what we're talking about is vulnerability with moderation, right? Vulnerability with right. boundaries, meaning I'm not going to come apart. Uh, at the same time, then I guess that's why that's why I hit so hard on this idea at the very beginning of you're not saving your people. The reason is because you're in it with them. You know, you're right. getting you're getting negativity as well. And so I, I think the way that you talk to your staff is everybody should try to drop this idea that you're a superhero that's going to save them. You're not. You're on this boat with them and you're all there together. And the healthiest conversation you can have is, hey guys, I I feel what you feel. What can we as a team do to make our situation better? And you listen yeah. to your people, but that is the healthiest mindset to have. Um, I'm not Superman. I can't fly around saving everyone. I am, and I am being affected as much as you're being affected. And let's all just be honest about that. Now, I am with you. What are we going to do as a, as a group? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. And so, yeah, that, I think I think that that's I just think that that's that's super that's super key. But that that level of vulnerability, I think, is important. I, I think I think it's a complete charade when you're like, I don't want the team to know that I don't know what to do. Why not? <laughs> like you don't know what to do, and yeah. uh, you know we've all been around people who clearly didn't know what to do, and they tried to act like they did, and they just destroyed their credibility. And we've right. also been around people who had great credibility who said, "I don't know what the answer is." Yeah, you know, like let's let's figure this out together. And you go, "Oh, okay, I can work with that person." Yeah, that's. I think that is the forgiving, healthy headspace to get into. Okay, well, do you want to take a quick break here and then we can come back and talk about how do we actually tackle the challenge here? Let's do it. Hey everyone, it's Stephanie and I just want to jump in here for one quick second and make sure that you know about a couple of things that are coming up that you may not want to miss. Andy and I just kicked off our strategic planning workshop series. We've been doing this at the top of the year every year for the last few because it gives us a chance to talk about how do we set the team up for success when we look ahead at a coming year. We've done the first session already by the time this comes out, but you can still join us for the remaining three. We're going to be talking about setting, vision, mission, talking about values with our team and really living and breathing it versus something fancy that just goes up on our wall. We're going to talk about loading the bus, getting the right people in the right seats, and moving forward. And then we're going to talk about KPIs and what do we need to look at from a numbers perspective to smartly manage the practice and also how do we get our team bought into that. So you can join us for that. And then the other thing I want to make sure you don't miss is uh, we have a class coming up 
on February 17th. It is a workshop that is being led by my friend, Dr. Adam Little. This is a workshop that Adam did for us previously at an Uncharted event. And we heard so much great feedback about this that I wanted to figure out a way to bring this to you guys virtually. And Adam rose to the challenge and I am super stoked about this. You're not going to want to miss it. It is called What Vet Med Can Learn From Improv. And uh, Adam is going to be talking about how to learn how to take the fundamental foundations of improv and apply it not only to comedy, but to life and practice. So how do we learn to think quick on our feet and be more comfortable with what is often the uncomfortable or the unexpected? So that workshop is kicking off on February 17th. The registration is still open. You can find out about these and more at unchartedvet.com forward slash events. And now back to the podcast. All right, let's get into what we're actually going to do with this thing. Okay. So um, the first thing that I, that I want to talk about, I said there was three parts to this, right? I, I said that there is the um, there is the control part, like what can I control and what is beyond my control. I said that there's the strategy part and there's the wellness part. Okay. Sure. The strategy part. That, that's this is where we're going to get into the action into the action steps. The strategy part. I I don't know this practice. I'm just hearing what they're saying. At some point, I I do have to ask the question if if no one else is taking new clients and you're taking new clients and taking new clients is making the new clients unhappy and your existing clients unhappy, I have to question, and I just got to ask, are you sure that we're taking clients is a good idea? Um, mm -hmm. Are you trying, because it sounds, and I could be wrong, it sounds like you're trying to make everybody happy. Mm -hmm. And um, I, there's an old quote that I really like. Um, I don't know what the key to success is, but the key to failure is trying to make everybody happy. Like, yeah. Yep, that's it. I 100% see practices out there that are ticking off their long-term clients and doing a crappy job serving new clients. And then and their team is getting beaten up. I'm going, what in the world are you doing? You yeah. know, and they usually give me some some explanation about, hey, well, you know, uh, other clinics aren't taking people and stuff like that. And I, I, I see some of that. But at the same time, I go, if if we take the long view, you burning out your staff, having them quit, making your long-term clients angry because they don't feel prioritized, they feel mistreated, and doing a poor job serving new clients, that is not good. Like, that's not good. There's no long-term benefit that comes from that. That is the worst long-term outcome. This is one of those things where sometimes setting some boundaries and saying, we're not taking new clients and uh, period. Um, you do the most long-term good because you retain your staff and you're able to continue to work uh, in the long-term with a good, uh, happy, motivated team, as opposed to saying, we're gonna help everybody. And then people just drop like flies. And then you have a skeleton crew of burned out people uh, that are just laboring away at, at a job that they don't enjoy. That mm -hmm. That's just the first question I got to ask. Are yeah. you trying to make everyone happy to the point that you are damaging the long-term good you could do? Well, I think it's a really good point. And I think it is one of the things that, that I asked was, okay, um, so if you, if we are, we are two years into this at this point and your existing clients still have the expectation that they would be able to be seen within a seven to 10 day period. What have you been doing for the last two years? Because I don't know very many practices who over the last two years have been able to continue to serve their existing clients in that short of a time turnaround that we may have been able to accommodate pre-COVID, right? Like this is this, that was the part of it that was, um, I struggled to wrap my brain around and I asked and I was just like, you know, what are you guys doing to manage expectations? And so from a solution perspective, that certainly is part of it for me is how do we maybe maybe you don't have to stop seeing new clients, because I think to your point, I appreciate the cl the clinics who are mm -hmm. still trying to serve new clients because you know, there's the conversation about should you be penalized just because you became a pet owner now, right? Like people are like, well, you should have had a vet sooner. Well, if I, if I didn't yeah, have no. a pet sooner or whatever, like, you know, there's lots of reasons or I just moved here, whatever. Like sure. there's a lot of reasons that people through no fault of their own could need a new vet. And so I appreciate what they're trying to do. And at the same time, the question I would have is what are we doing 
to manage expectations for our existing clients because how anybody got through the last two years and didn't get to a point where clients should kind of be expecting at this point and understanding and have been educated over the last two years on the fact that we can't operate the way we did before. Things have had to change and we need a longer runway. Well, I hear, I do, I hear that. I guess I push back a little bit in that if you have a healthy cat or a dog that's two years old or three years old, uh, that means it was one year old when the pandemic started, which means you have been to the vet exactly twice. Sure. In the last two years for, you know what I mean? So, and again, they, they just, they don't think about this. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't, when you've got a healthy pet at home and you're an architect and your spouse is a, you know, is a plumber, you don't think about what is going on at the vet clinic, except when you need that. And so I, I a hundred percent, I guess I a hundred percent can see how the education would not happen for people, you know what I mean? Uh, over a two year period, if they haven't been coming in on the regular. Sure. And I would, I would push back on that and say, okay, well, what is, what is your team doing when people need to book appointments, right? Like how are we communicating? Because sure, your point is super valid. We have a huge amount of our client base who aren't the frequent flyers, right? Like we have a huge amount, all of us do a huge amount of clients who come in once a year or twice if we're really lucky. And so they're not going to get it. But what are we doing to communicate that? And so I, so yeah. I would look at that and, and I would encourage all of us, especially those of our my colleagues who are still seeing new clients to think about what are we doing to educate our existing client base and managing those expectations? Because yeah. it's the it's the failure to manage those expectations, I think, that leads to a majority of the disgruntled nature on the part of our existing clients because we're not doing enough to communicate to them and to the to the point in the story that you told earlier we should learn from the the man who stuck his head up against the front door and peeked in the window like we have to tell them a bajillion different ways because one and done or a sign literally a sandwich board in front of the door is not going to be enough like we have to manage that expectation and just accept the fact that we're going to have to repeat it until we're blue in the face. And this was one of the things early on in the pandemic that I I really tried to lean into almost like a mantra to myself is uh, I, I reminded myself about a lesson uh, learned <laughs> as a, you know, Disney teaches their employees. And if you think about it, employee, park employees at Disney get asked a hundred times a day, what time is the five o'clock parade at? And they get asked questions that seem really silly, right? Like they literally just asked me, what time is the five o'clock parade start at? Well, the answer is in the question that you just asked. But as an employee, the culture of Disney is very much, you're going to answer that question, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time you have been asked that day with a smile on your face. For, yep. Because for the client who is asking you that question, it's the first time they've asked it. And yeah. so that that for me really became a, yes, it's t- it's exhausting to answer the same questions about why you can't come in the building over and over and over again. But the client that I'm talking to in that moment on the phone, it's their first time hearing it. Yeah. And so part of that uh, managing that expectation is leaning into, for me, it was leaning into that Disney model for myself and with the team of like, How do I how do I do this with a smile on my face and remind myself that the person on the other end of the phone or the person outside the building that I'm talking to their first time asking those questions and having the interaction? Let me let me put this into a framework. Okay, so what I would say is the first the first part of this, you know, to the first for solving this problem is organizational boundaries and policies. Right. Like I need to handle as much negativity as I can with policies so that the few people who uh, are still frustrated are a manageable number, right? We have reduced that overall. So we start with with policies. Whenever we talk about boundaries and policies, it all is based on expectations. People don't get upset about what they get. They get upset about the difference between what they expected to get and what they got. That's what they get mad about. And so to your point, um, people who are showing up and and, and they're not expecting a wait time, we have put ourselves in a position uh, to have them be mad at us because their expectation is they're going to walk right in. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of like if I go to a restaurant and they tell me it's a 45 minute wait, do you want to wait? And I say yes. And then I wait 20 minutes. I think that's great. Right. I'm happy to have waited 20 minutes, you know, because I thought it was going to be 45. 
And a lot of this is setting the expectation. Do they know what's what's happening and what's coming on? You know, we have got to communicate clearly. If you if they're not going to be allowed in the building, we need to tell them when they book the appointment. And then we need to send them a reminder email that says, mm-hmm. hey, remember to expect to stay in your car. And there needs to be a sign when they pull up that tells them, hey, by the way, mm-hmm. still in your car. And then mm-hmm. when someone comes out, they'll be like, thank you for waiting in your car today. And like that is the level of communication that we that we need to bring across. And it's, sure. you know, and, and the thing is, people say, oh, my gosh, Andy, how many touch points am I, am I supposed to have, really? And I say, you know what? Start with a couple. And if people continue to walk up to the building, then add, add more. more, you know, exactly right. And if people don't don't realize what was happening and they're mad at the front desk, when you add more. And a lot of that yeah. is just saying, what are people upset about? How could mm-hmm. we let them know this again before they come into the building and continuing to rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat and push those things forward? But it's it's about, you know, when we talk about setting policies, it is it's expectations about what they're going to get and what they can expect from you and just say it. And if they want to go somewhere else, fine, they can go somewhere else. But yeah. but they knew up front before they decided to come in. It's patient rights and responsibilities. I'm a big fan of this with negativity. Like we should tell clients, this is what you can expect from us and this is what we expect from you. And mm-hmm. if they cannot adhere to the responsibilities of clients, then we can say to them, hey, uh, this is what our rights and responsibilities are. This is how the, the visit went. We are not going to be able to be your veterinarian anymore. And we need to and, and put that forward, but have a framework for what behavioral standards you expect. And if they can't follow those standards, then they can go somewhere else. And um, this doesn't happen a lot. It shouldn't happen a lot, right? If you're communicating expectations, you should not have people who are violating rights and responsibilities very often. But when they do, they can go somewhere else. If you're really trying to see your clients plus new clients coming in, I I don't know why you feel like you have to let clients who misbehave stick around. You know, Mm -hmm. like they had their shot and they did not treat me the way that I require being treated. And so they're going to go somewhere else. And I think we should all get happier with that. And I think part of the challenge is, um, you know, in in the course of the dialogue was um, we take a stand against the super naughty clients, mm-hmm. right? Like we're, we're Good. letting clients yeah. go when they're, uh, you know, acting badly. And the ones who, you know, are screaming at the CSRs when they get told they can't get in, in, in two weeks, right? Like those are the, those are the one-offs that are easier to deal with. But I think the, the reason that the conversation was happening is it's really easy. Um, you know, if someone acts very angry or acts super crazy. It's easier now to deal with those than ever before because I have seen our industry start to take a much stronger stand for ourselves in terms of not tolerating that kind of bad behavior, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think the harder part when it comes to negativity kind of seeping into the team and the practice is that it's really easy to ignore when you have a, a client who seems frustrated or snaps at you on the phone or whatever when it's a when it's a one off but mm-hmm. the reality of the world right now is that everybody's tired mm-hmm. everybody's grumpy and it is far in my own personal life I'm just thinking about it like it is far more often that I engage with somebody who is grumpy or irritated about something and when you stack that person after person after person all day, every day. It may not have anything to do with you. They're just grumpy. And that is the exhausting part. And I think that that is the the negativity and the frustration and the little things that build one after the other. I think that is what was part of the struggle here is like, how do I keep how do I keep the team positive? You know, how do I keep them feeling like they can be the Disney employee who can brush off the, the frustration and negativity when they get asked where the restrooms are for the hundredth time yeah. in the day, right? Like, how do I, how do I keep that pep happening? Um, and that is a lot, that's a lot harder to do because I don't, you can't control that with policy or protocol, right? Like I no. can control the naughty clients with policy and protocol really easily, but how do I impact the, the morale and the, the frame of mind for the team is I think a lot harder yeah. of a process. There, yeah. And, and, and it's, and there's no one thing where you're like, I did this and now that's fixed. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it comes down to like the employees who answer the same question again and again and who feel good about it or can put a smile on their face. They have a couple of they have a couple things in common. Right. And the first one is they believe 
uh, that what they're doing has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And they ha- they have to. It, it's like no sure. one no one can answer the same question again and again and again. And their only motivation is because I get paid X number of dollars per hour. Right. Like you, <laughs> right. That, you can't. <laughs> you true. have to believe the people at, at at Disney have to believe that they're creating magic and that they're yeah. making an experience in the lives of the people who are asking them these questions. Mm-hmm. I think it's the only way that I could do it is I would have to believe mm-hmm. that this is an important thing that I'm doing. Um, and it, and it's meaningful. And so I'm going to answer your question again and again, because I truly want you to have a magical experience here. And for this to be a vacation that you remember for the rest of your life. And so the same, same sort of thing with our, with our clinic is, uh, and it's, it sounds a bit circuitous to get there, but the truth is they have to believe in the values of your organization and what you're doing. They have to believe that their work matters. They have to believe that they serve a a, a higher purpose, a greater good. And if you believe I'm doing this, for a reason that matters, then you can put up with a lot of stuff. So I think that that's yep. the first part is you've got to have, um, you've got to have, you have to have a purpose and values that people, that your team can see and that they buy into. Yeah. The culture has to be modeled by the formal leadership, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, ownership has to say, you know, this is, I like this work. It's hard work, but it's good work and I like it. And I treat you with respect and you treat me with respect and we treat our clients with respect and I am respected and I'm going to model that for you. And hopefully you'll feel that way, um, that way as well. But the other yeah. part of it is um, in psychology, it's called deep acting. Um, I like my clients. I choose to like my clients. I choose to like my staff. I choose to like my other doctors. I choose to like the guys that I work for uh, as an associate vet. You know what I mean? Um, One of the things when I say, hey, um, you know, how do I make my clients, how do or how do I help my team get back up if they're having negative interactions with the clients is do not under any circumstances allow your relationship as a team with clients to become adversarial. Like, yeah. do not allow the whole, like, oh, it's clients. Because once you're dealing with negativity and you have started to go down a road of, oh, these clients are a headache, everything mm-hmm. just compounds and steamrolls. Yep. You have to keep going back to, hey, everybody's fighting a battle that we don't know anything about. If they didn't care about their pets, they never would have come in in the first place. Hey, yep. these are good people in a hard time. They're trying to do right. They're frustrated that it's hard, that it's hard to get in. Let's, let's be patient with them. Remember, they're good people and there are people and they put food on the table for us uh, and they do take care of their pets. And let's remember to lean into the good that our clients do. And that may sound simple, but man, there's really strong research behind it. And I have just found it personally so helpful in my own career to decide I like my clients and I like the people that I work with. And as long as I stick to those guns, things tend to work out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. We have um I was just looking to try and figure out what the what number it was, but you and I did a podcast uh at the beginning of last year about um you know, what to do with with the grumpy with a grumpy a team and grumpy clients because we had a we had a team that had gotten to the place where they were starting to become anti-client, right? And we talked yes. a lot about what do we do what do we do with that? Um, and I'll I'll keep trying to find the episode, but I but I think that that's that's super important because it happens so fast, you know, like one you slip up because you're frustrated mm-hmm. and somebody's like, God, clients suck. And then before you know it, it's really easy for the whole team to develop that anti-client um, attitude. So I, I I agree with that. It's, yeah. I the, can totally see where it gets there fast. Yeah. The, the last part I would say too is um, you have got to generate the positive moments. You have to it play as big a role yes. as you can in the positive moments, right? Yes. If, um, if your team is getting the... If your team is getting uh, negative interactions with clients and say that they're getting three a day, how many positive interactions do they need to have to offset that, right? Because it really mm-hmm. is a ratio. If mm-hmm. um, if I go into work and one person says something to me today and it was negative, then 100% of the things I heard today were negative and that's awful. Right. But if I get seven good things, pats on the back, and one negative thing, I go, eh, you know, mostly it was good. Uh, you know, I tend to put extra weight on the bad thing because I'm a human being. But right. uh, for the most part, th- those are just very different experiences. 
And you see that a lot in leadership, uh, in the leadership literature, you know, things about giving uh, positive and negative feedback. And there and there's a number, but it's I, I'm not convinced it's it's a very valuable number. But the number is something around five. You're supposed to have five positive interactions for every negative piece of feedback that you deliver. You know, it's something that, that was bared out in the study. But again, I, I don't know that that number is I don't, I'm not convinced that number is the precise mathematical number. I think the point is valid, though, of you better have more positive interactions than negative interactions. And as a team leader, I want to think about how do I increase the number of positive interactions my teams have, meaning um, how do I how do I lift them up? How do I how do I make them feel appreciated? And then um, the 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 depths of the positive interactions, meaning how can I throw extra light onto the good things that happen? Because it's easy for those things to get minimized. When clients say nice things, am I amplifying those nice things so that the whole team hears them? That's something easy that I can do. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny. I um, I I think that that makes total sense, and the number never made sense to me either. But what makes sense to me is when you are feeling negative and someone tries to combat that negativity by sharing something positive, it doesn't, it, it feels natural and intuitive to want to help by, by trying to counteract, right? And, and find some balance. You've tipped to one side and it feels negative. And so the human, human nature tells us we should, we should try and balance that out. My own human experience is that when that happens, though, it doesn't feel positive it pisses me off because it feels really argumentative in the moment. Okay. And as that person, and I'll give you an example, we were um, we were having an argument recently in my house because the kids over the break, they, they've, they were, you know, they're home, they're stuck inside, they're sniping with each other and at each other constantly. And the fighting is just driving both me and their dad crazy. And we were having, we, we wound up having a big argument because um, I was like, I am so sick of them fighting. And he was just like, well, all kids, like all kids fight. Like they're not that bad. They get yeah. along really well like this. And I was like, oh my God, I just, like, just want to throttle you right now because they're driving me nuts. And I, cause yeah. I was mad. I was like, why aren't you helping me? And so I looked at him and I was like, I don't want you to tell me that it's not that bad. I just want you to understand. Like, I just yeah. want you to say, I know, I understand how you're feeling. Like, stop trying to fix it. Right. Cause he was like, yeah. I'll break them up. I'll send them to separate rooms. It'll be fine. I was like, no, that's, that's not what I want. What I want is you to say, I hear you. I see yeah. you. I see your frustration. Right. And that's, that's hard because human nature is to try and combat it. And so I think for me, like the first, the first step comes out of that human place of argument, which is you have to seek to understand. And so I think when it comes to, to dealing with the team feeling very negative, I think the the important part is to validate them. And, and the caveat for me is try and validate on middle ground. Like you don't have to make their negative behavior okay. It is okay to tell them you you can't act like this, but you do have to they do have to feel heard or it's just going to continue. And so trying to find some, A, telling them that you are listening. I hear you. I see you. Those are very important steps as a leader. And then trying to find the middle ground where you can say, okay, let's talk about this piece here, right? Or agree with something. Find some middle ground, common ground between what they're feeling and where you are. Um, because that's the only way to have the positivity truly take effect, I think. Otherwise, it's very easy for it to be viewed as dismissive or toxic positivity. Like I'm yeah. telling you that everything is falling apart and you're just telling me that it should be sunshine and rainbows, right? Like we've all been there yeah. and felt felt that frustration. Yeah, I, well, I think that's really valid. I'm, I'm really glad you said that. Um, the key for me in this, and this is why I said you have to zoom out. OK, because if you zoom in, what happens is it, it does feel it does feel exactly like what you're saying of um, something bad happened and um, and now I'm going to counter it with something good. And I feel like that is that is a bad place to be. And it does feel like toxic positivity. The team says this person was really awful. And you say, but this other person was great. So, you know, we're good. Right. Like that feels dismissive. The, the best analogy I'll give is um, how I feel about one star reviews. Okay. And so, and you've heard me talk about this a number of times. Um, 
when when someone leaves a one-star review, I think a lot of people feel desire to jump on and counter that review. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. I don't. I don't recommend that. You know, my thing is, if someone says, it's, if someone leaves an honest review and they're, and they're angry, you don't counter them with, oh, but here's the good things that we did, right? Right. You say, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. And then quietly behind the scenes, you accumulate five-star reviews so that their one-star review happens in this much larger context of good yes. things. So I think yes. it's a very, very important point about positivity and creating positivity. I am not using positivity to combat negativity. I am using positivity to build a positive contextual framework so that when this negative thing happens, it happens amongst a lot of positive things. It is not a lightsaber battle with the red negativity lightsaber against the green positivity lightsaber. It is 100%. There's just good stuff all like I am just making other good stuff in the world so that when bad stuff happens, I'm not countering it, but it's bad stuff happening inside of an otherwise positive context. And I think that's so important to make that distinction. So I'm I'm really, I'm really glad you brought that up. So, so I talked at the beginning about being re- realistic about what leaders can control and what they can't control, about how we set policies to reduce negativity coming at our staff as much as possible, and about yep. how building a good culture that is not re- like reactionary to negativity, but instead is like separate, ongoing, you know, positive culture mm-hmm. is is vital. Okay, the 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 three ideas that are key points for me uh, that I just want to touch briefly on at the end here. Um, Number one is is support staff wellness, right? So we talked about about policies. We talked about culture. The last the last part is wellness, right? You and I talk a lot about employee assistance programs, things like that, to make sure that client that, that our staff has a safety net. Um, sure. Things that you can do to to support your staff. Be on the lookout, right? Like I don't want my people to burn out. I want to support their wellness, however I can, regardless of the negativity that we're getting. Right? Again, same thing as as like positivity, not countering negativity. I don't want wellness to counter negativity. Like, hey, you guys are getting beaten up, so I'm doing this to try to make it okay. It's like, no, right. a culture of wellness and supporting well, uh, staff wellness is on, in an ongoing way is really, is really critical. All right. The next part that I think is overlooked a lot is personal agency. And when I talk about personal agency, from a psychological standpoint, it is vital that your staff believe they have options, right? Mm-hmm. If any of your people come to believe that they have to take abuse from pet owners and there's nothing they can do about it they right. are done like they are toast they are going to burn out they are going to quit they are going to leave right no one wants to believe that they have no options or that they are trapped and this is where some of the uh, negativity from clients can can get really bad mm-hmm. for god's sakes we've got to figure out what are what are your employees options when a client is misbehaving when mm-hmm. they're being nasty when they're bringing down negativity it should at least be hey you need to know that you can come and get me the manager at any time you need to know that i will not be mad if you come and get me um i will step up for you uh you can put the person uh, in, in an exam room and i will come in there and i will handle this or i will back you up or i will put someone who has the power to either accommodate or set boundaries to this client. You know what I mean? Sure. So don't let your people feel like they don't have any agency, like there's no choices they can make. They're stuck and they have to just take it. And the, yeah. the last part is personal boundaries, right? And so at some point, everybody needs to take care of themselves. There's no There's no leadership position that can replace personal boundaries for the employees. And so this is this is on all of us is prioritize your own health, prioritize mm-hmm. your own wellness, set boundaries and communicate those boundaries to other people. And there's no policy that's going to ever make that need go away. At some point, we are all going to have to say, hey, this is how I expect to be treated by my clients, by sure. my boss, by my coworkers and, and, and live those boundaries. Yeah, I think um, that all, that all makes total sense to me and totally supports the last piece that I had, which goes back to the original question that that we talked about, which was how do I boost the team's morale? Mm-hmm. And I think the things that for me that all supported and dovetailed into what you're talking about, because boosting the morale is not super, super hard, but it is time intensive. And when things are overwhelming, when clients are 
acting naughty when the team is upset and frustrated. Like that's the exact time when we need to take the time to do it. And we don't because we feel overwhelmed. And so the things that were on my list, um, in addition to, to yours were don't talk to them, meet with them and then listen to what they have to say. Like give them the floor, hear what they have to say. What is causing the problems? What are the stresses? Listen more than you're talking. That is the number one morale booster that most managers forget to reach for that tool. And it's such a, it's such a simple one. Um, but it's the one that is the easiest. We Our brains go to problem-solving mode and we try and fix it before we actually listen. Yeah. So meet with your team and listen. And in addition to that, we have to give them tools to give us feedback and take feedback from us, right? So um, you and I talk about that a lot on the podcast, but this is one where we have to open the door to them and ask them to give us feedback. What's not working for them? What is working for them? Um, and then... And the same goes for us. We have to have those tools to give and take. We've got a bunch of podcast episodes that um, go along with that. And, you know, courses that you and I have done through through um, Uncharted. But I think that that's really, really important when it comes to morale boosting is the ability to give and take feedback is so important and leaning into developing our team, right? People don't stay in jobs. They don't have good morale. They're not happy if they don't see a path forward. Not only do you have to help them figure out a path forward through the negativity that's currently happening with clients, but back to what you and I talked about, where if 10 good things happen in a day and one crappy thing happens, it's a lot easier to overlook the crappy thing. Same with their viewpoint um, for themselves in your team. If there's lots of good stuff coming and happening if they feel like they are heard, if they feel like your door is open and they can speak to you about what's on their mind, if they feel like they are supported, that there are development opportunities for them and and that they're also appreciated, it's a yeah. lot easier to overlook the crappy stuff that, that yeah. comes along. And the last one goes along right along with that, which is have fun with them. Yeah. Figure out a way to make it fun because when things are negative, when clients are grumpy, the phones are ringing off the hook when we're, everybody is shorthanded. The fun goes right along with listening to them in that it's the first thing that we overlook because we feel like we don't have time for it. But I would argue that none of us have time not to make time for it. Yeah, We have to figure out how to support them and have fun with them and lighten that load so that people feel like they can leave those bad things at the clinic when it happens and walk walk away and feel like they still had a good day at work. Yeah, I, I think that that's so important. I think a lot of people are um, sort of problem-focused people and they say, oh, you know, my team yes. experiences negativity. We need to talk about the negativity. We need to focus on the negativity. We need to fix the negativity. Yes. And it, it's, it's one of those weird things in life, and I'm, I'm grasping for another example. Uh, there are things. Uh, so I guess the, 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 the old saying that I've heard is um, muddied water is best cleared by leaving it alone. Um, is sort of the idea. Mm-hmm. And there definitely is a scenario where addressing negativity and talking about negativity and, and harping on negativity doesn't actually help your team deal with negativity. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's almost like if you're in a relationship and there's something that you and your partner disagree about and you talk about that thing all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? And you're like, we sure. have to keep working through this. At some point, maybe just, you know, do what, you, do what you do. <laughs> if, maybe if you just put it down right. and focus on doing the things that you love to do together and that you enjoy as a couple yeah. and things like that. It's funny how sometimes stuff doesn't matter as much mm-hmm. when it's in the context of these other things. And so I, as, yeah. as a, sort of a, I butchered that that metaphor, but I hope people get it. No, it makes um, total sense. Okay, yeah, that, that's yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I was talking to my wife not long ago and she was telling me about um, a headache at work. And I fell right into that trap of trying to fix the problem. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? And I was like, did you say this? Absolutely. Did you say that? You know, you could put together a document that says this. And she was like, stop. I don't want you to fix the problem. Uh-huh. I just want you to hear the problem yep. and understand the problem. Yep. And, rem- and remind me that you care and that everything is going to be okay. Yep. And then I'll fix the problem. But I just, I need you to just be in it with me for yeah. a second. And um, boy, if you're a goal-oriented, problem-solving, you know, smart <laughs> goal-setting guy like me, I suck at that. And I, it's, it's a learned Hard. skill. But I really do think for a lot of the culture stuff, setting up our people to keep them safe and to fix the problem is good. 
But yeah. we also have to be to step away from that and just let them be human. And also just to step away from that and say, hey, I can't control what people do, but I can show you how much I appreciate you. And I can, mm -hmm. and I can talk to you about what I like about you and about the work that you do. And I can yeah. show you the value in what you do in the world. And I can remind you that you are important. Uh, you're yeah. important to, to me and you're important to the people that you work with. And that's not addressing the negativity of clients, but it's, yeah, it's part of overcoming that negativity. Yeah. I love it. This was this was so great. I really had fun uh, with this conversation and I hope I hope it was helpful. Yeah, definitely. Always, oh. always the hope. <laughs> always I know, right? <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. Take care. See you guys. Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.